today we get two scripture readings. So here's the first one. It's from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we skip ahead 20 chapters, and we have John 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. You know, before we started singing, we lit the hope candle. Uh, if this is the first time at church or s- sort of new to this uh, Christian thing, uh, we are celebrating the season of Advent. Today marks actually the start of 2021's Advent season. The word Advent uh, comes from an ancient Latin word to come or to arrive. And it's been church tradition for years and years as a community, as a church universal. We've celebrated not only Jesus' initial coming. So you, you, if you grew up in the church, you said these wonderful plays with baby Jesus, Mary, and, and wise men and things like that. But really, Advent, back in the days, from early church on to probably up, all the way up to recently, really the Advent was to not only focus on Jesus' first coming, but it was really about looking forward to Jesus' promise of returning again. So as a community, um, Advent offers us an opportunity to recenter our hearts. Um, I don't know how busy your Christmas schedule looks. Christmas can be a very busy season. Our calendars get filled up very quickly. We have gifts to buy, carols to be played, friends and families to see, trees to be put up. In Korea, cakes to be bought, right? Cakes are everywhere during Christmas. Yet even more important than the outward preparation, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to have these flowers and it's beautiful to have trees up in our homes. What's more important is, is, is really the, the preparation of our heart. That God has given us tradition like Advent to really mark the season. So as a church community, you know, this is our year number four. This is, we're going to year number five. Uh, every year we have celebrated the Advent season. And just like we've done it every year, we're going to spend next four weeks remembering and looking forward to the hope. You'll see these candles, the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love of Advent. Love will be Christmas Sunday. So we're going to be talking about hope today. Say hope. Repeat after me, hope. We need some hope. After a year like 2021, Martin Luther, uh, the reformer, once said this about hope, and I, I love this quote Everything that is done in this world is done by hope. Everything that is done in this world is done by this idea of hope. Really, to be human is to hope. Whether you're a Christian, Buddhist, 
other sort of worldview, religion, we all desire to hope and hope allows us to move forward. So when we find ourselves in the middle of year like 2021, middle of chaos and suffering or you fall majorly ill or you don't get the job that you've always wanted or you, you lose your job because of pandemic, we look to the emotional reservoir of hope for strength to keep us going, right? Hopeful people are able to walk through suffering and hardships, but if you're not hopeful, it's really hard for you to move forward. When we are unjustly treated at work, in our relationships, we look to the emotional reservoir of hope for the strength to respond with grace and not evil. When we're tempted to lie, to gossip, to lust, to envy, to look, we look to the emotional reservoir of hope for the strength to hold fast to the way that our teacher Jesus has taught us to walk. You see, hope, friends, hope is what gives you and I the strength that we need to get off our beds especially those mornings when we don't want to get up, to fight for our relationships, to battle evil and injustice in the world, but also just injustice and evil in our own hearts. But before we can unpack this idea of hope, I think it's important, again, that we recognize it's been a tremendously challenging year for many of us to be hopeful, Right? If 2020, the first year of pandemic, our lives in the pandemic, was a year of deep despair, right? Countless lives were lost because of COVID. I think 2021, year after, second year under COVID, can be described as a year not quite of despair, but maybe notched down, a year of disappointment. I remember entering 2021, talking to my friends, thinking, okay, COVID will probably come to an end early this year. We're going to be able to travel. We're going to be able to do these things in our community. We're going to be able to meet new people. Yet when we look back, a lot of what we're expected, what we're hoping to accomplish in 2020, I'm sure many of us could say it hasn't really come to fruition. We had hoped that this pandemic would be behind us by now. We had hoped that we would be able to travel home and spend at least Christmas with our family without having to quarantine. We had hoped that our business will turn around. We had hoped that cancer would be gone. We had hoped to be married and have children much earlier than now. We had hoped that our marriage would survive. We had hoped to be doing better physically, emotionally, and maybe perhaps even our relationship with God. Yet if we're really honest this morning, it's really hard. When we see that word hope on that screen, this is how a lot of us feel. I drew this for us. You guys like that? This is how a lot of us feel as we are wrapping up 2021. We still find ourselves in the thick of things with this pandemic. Numbers are going up. Korean government said they're going to stricken some of the measures. So we'll, we'll see what that means for us. Some of our church members have contracted COVID this week and they're stuck at home and just challenges, just challenges. Many of our hopes that we've entered this year with have been either delayed or shattered. And really suffering, things like pandemic, suffering and trials, they're not easy to process for many of us because most of us grew up in a culture that has done a poor job of teaching us 
value of suffering and pain. I remember growing up in middle class America, and really suffering and pain was never sort of um, unpacked for me when, when I was growing up in middle, middle class America. Because for the secular culture, at least the culture I grew up in, middle, middle class America, life is about progress and survival. Therefore, suffering is only seen as a meaningless pain. There is no, really, uh, there's no real place for suffering. Even amongst believers, right, that's secular. But what about, what about in the church? Amongst believers, many of us are surprised when suffering enters our lives. Even, even after many, many passages of biblical writers teaching us, hey, suffering is going to come. Jesus showing us the way of the cross, the narrow road. We are surprised when suffering enters our own lives. And there is an un- underlining assumption that rests in a lot of us that our, our lives should always be better, bigger, and happier. Sort of this gospel of improvement, gospel of the health and wealth. I think it, it sort of, maybe we're not, we're, not, we're not a believers of the gospel of health and wealth, but in our hearts, there's this belief that our lives should always improve, that 2020, 2021 should be better than 2020, 2022 should be better than 2021. So when unexpected events begin to take place in our lives, we miss out. When we miss out on that promotion, when we miss out on that growth opportunity, when we lose something or someone we love, when our relationships break down and we experience something really painful, what do we do? We are quick to doubt the goodness of God and place our hope in other places. For all hope, must be tied to someone or something else. I mean, you cannot have hope unless it is tied to someone or something else. As we look forward to a better outcome in the future, we're putting our hope in something or someone else. So where can we find hope that will not fail? Where can we find hope that will deliver what we're looking it to deliver, we're hoping it to deliver? The cookie-cutter Christian answer is we must place our hope in God. We've heard this. You've probably heard these sermons if you grew up in the church. Because God will never fail us. He will never let us down. We sing songs like this all the time. But then what do you do? What do we do when our disappointment, at least the feelings of disappointment, is directed at God? What do we do when we feel like we have been let down by God? You know, I'm entering my 15th year of pastoral ministry. Uh, it flew, like, very fast. 15 years of pastoral ministry. And I could tell you, can I just be honest, there have been real moments and seasons where I felt deeply disappointed by God. 15 years of ministering, 15 years of being part of, a ch- part of churches, seeing people walk through difficult and hard things. There have been seasons and moments where I felt deeply disappointed by God. Where I felt that God had let me down. When when I felt like I did things that God had called me to do. I obeyed and I did the things God had called me to do. Yet, things either blew up in my face or simply didn't work out the way I had hoped. Or I thought it would work out. I have dealt with and perhaps even still deal with some of these emotions of disappointment towards God. Just me? Anyone else? 
I see some nodding. But as painful and difficult these emotions of despair and disappointments can feel, we don't like disappointment. When someone tells you, I am disappointed in you, that's like the worst thing you can say to me. You can be mad at me, you can be upset, but when they say, I am disappointed in you, that's the worst thing. We don't like the emotions of disappointment. Yet they are also extremely helpful. They can be extremely helpful. In fact, they're great teachers. Whenever we face some kind of sense of despair and disappointment, I think they're great teachers, indicators. And the lesson behind these seasons and moments of disappointment and despair, they help us recognize perhaps our hope was placed on the wrong things. Perhaps even when we felt like our hopes rested on God, that our hope was in God, and he failed, he, he failed to come through, we have to ask the question, was it really God? Was our hope really on God? Or really, was it on the outcome that we had wanted God to accomplish for us? Well, the simple question is, do you love God for himself? Or have we loved God for his benefits? I think we're all guilty. We all come to God as beggars. We all come to God as those who are in need. Yet scripture always reminds us, or at least we see models, someone like King David, who, who got loved because at the end, David said, I want you for who you are, God. Someone like Moses, when God says, I'm not going to go with you, I'm upset, Exodus 34. God is upset at his people, and God says, I'm not going to go with you. Moses says, if you don't go with me, what's the point? If you're not with me, why would I go? So today, as our sister Emily read both the beginning words of the Gospel of John, John 1, and the concluding story of the same Gospel, John, rather strange Advent passage, I'm going to try to make this connection. You see, in the final chapter of the Gospel of John, we see Peter. We know Peter. Peter was one of the leaders of the, the, the gang of men that Jesus has raised up. The, the man who was part of Jesus' inner circle, perhaps Jesus' best friend on, on this earth. And in the final chapter of the Gospel of John, we are introduced to Peter, who is in a state of deep, deep despair and disappointment. This is a very interesting story. The, the story about Peter fishing and Jesus comes and restores him, asks the same question over and over again. Very interesting story. But Peter, he had hoped, right? he, he's in this state of disappointment because he had hoped that Jesus was the real deal. Right? He had hoped that Jesus was the true Savior that the nation Israel has been longing for for generations upon generations. He had hoped that Jesus would finally rescue them from the hands of their oppressors and establish a sovereign nation. But all these hopes that Peter had on Jesus came crashing down when Jesus chose to give himself up and was executed on that Roman cross. For three plus years, he and his friends, right, these disciples of Jesus, left everything to follow this man named Jesus. They seen this man heal the sick, 
quiet the storm, walk on water, defy gravity, raise the dead, and teach about the arrival of this new kingdom. Yet all of these hopes at one moment was shattered. So Peter, in our story, Peter and some of the disciples have left Jerusalem and returned home to Galilee. They returned home. And verse 3, John tells us, as they come home, Peter says, I'm going to go fish. I'm, I'm going fishing. See, this is human nature. When we feel utterly lost, confused, or even disappointed, we return to what gives us comfort, what we're familiar with. You see, Peter and the disciples, they were professional fishermen before they decided to leave everything and follow Jesus. So for them, the place of familiarity and comfort was out in the Galilean Sea, fishing. That gave them comfort and familiarity. One thing they knew, even though they felt completely lost and, and not knowing what to do in the future, one thing they knew was how to fish. This is how they made a living before Jesus told them to come follow me. Yet interestingly, John tells us in chapter 21, verse 3, these professional fishermen spent all night fishing in a very familiar water. I mean, these guys have fished in Galilean Sea for years and years. They knew all the secret spots. They knew where to find what kind of fish. But John tells us, Spent all night fishing, and they did not catch anything. It'd be one thing if I went fishing, because I'm a terrible, I, I, have, I have no patience for fishing. I mean, literally, like, I go crazy when I go fishing. It's one thing when I go and catch nothing. I mean, that's, that happens almost all the time when I go fishing. That's why I don't go fishing. It is another thing that these guys who are pros, this is what, I, what they've done for a living in the past, and they spent all night out there, and they cannot catch anything. See, John is setting us up. Jesus is setting up the scene. As these men spent all night fishing, didn't catch anything, as they were ready to call it quits and return to land, in verse 6 of the final chapter of John, John tells us a man shows up. And then from nowhere, the man tells them, hey, let down your net one more time to the other side. If you know the Gospel of John, all of a sudden this scene looks and feels eerily similar to Peter's first encounter with Jesus. Right? This is how Peter first met Jesus. Very similar. In the same place, in the same scenario, in the same way Jesus has let down the net one more time. And as they let down their net one final time, a huge number of fish were caught so much so they could not pull in their net. It's only at that very moment, John and Peter, they look at each other. That's what John says. They look at each other and begin to think, could this be Jesus? Could this be our teacher? Friends, one of the most profound truths that Advent proclaims to us is that the Creator God entered His creation to be with us. He is God, Emmanuel. That's what we sing. That's what we praise so listen again to John 1. When John begins his gospel, says, In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And verse 4, John says, In Him was life, and life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, John opens his gospel with these profound opening words. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. You see, Jesus' presence opens your eyes, my eyes, to truly see. Jesus' presence opens your eyes, my eyes, to truly see life. Jesus' presence opens your eyes and my eyes to truly see life with renewed hope. The light shines and no darkness can overcome it. A few verses later in John chapter 1, we didn't read this, verse 14, John eventually goes on to say, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What John is saying is the Creator God, the Logos, the Creator God, the Word, came into our world, entered creation, our neighborhood, our home, our hearts, even into our suffering and our pain. And we see that once again. We see this John chapter 1 being embodied in our passage in John 21 as John concludes his gospel, as Jesus came to that Galilean shore once again showing himself to these group of men who, uh, who were disillusioned and dismayed. And he comes, when you read the story, he comes not to condemn, not to scorn, not to tell them off for running away or leaving him alone to die, but to reconcile and restore them back onto himself. This is, a really, this is a really sweet, there's this really sweet scene in this story. If you read on John 21. Peter and the man have returned empty-handed, could not catch anything. And Jesus is already on the shore grilling fish. Jesus is making breakfast. It's very intimate language. You see, Jesus is making breakfast to a group of men who cowardly ran for their own lives. He invites them once again to his table. He invites them once again to fellowship with them, to dine with them, to be one. Notice it's not these men, it's not Peter and John who have gone to the tomb, or at least Peter, John did. It's not Peter who have gone to the tomb to look for Jesus. It is actually Jesus, risen Jesus, who have come to look for Peter. Friends, are you discouraged? Are you disappointed? Are you dismayed? Are you struggling with feelings of despair? Here's a wonderful reminder that our passage offers us. And here's a wonderful truth that Advent proclaims that God with us, Jesus, is with you. He's with me. He's with you in your loneliness. He's with you in your pain. He's with you in your shame. He is again God Emmanuel. Here's another wonderful reality that Advent affirms for us. Again, back to verse 14 of chapter 1. John says, He became flesh. The Word became flesh. 
Again, God the Creator took on humanity. I mean, that's perhaps the most scandalous claim of our faith. That God became a man just like a man, just like you and I. And this idea that God fully became one of us, that all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God took on frail and weak humanity, I mean, that's scandalous. That drove people crazy. But do you know what that means? If you unpack that idea, we've talked about this last week as we were wrapping up our letter of Philippians. That means you and I have a Savior who can truly empathize with us. This idea of empathy. I mean, empathy is so important. I'm not very good at empathy. You could ask my wife. I like to solve problems. Not good at empathy. We have a Savior who could empathize with us. He's not just trying to solve our problem. He understands where we are emotionally. He understands where we are when we're hurting. He knows personally. Jesus knows personally what it means to be rejected. Have you been rejected this week? He knows personally what it means to be afraid. Are you afraid of something? He knows what it means to experience pain or be accused or be misunderstood. Have you been misunderstood this week? Friends, Advent tells us we have a Savior who knows us fully, yet He loves us unconditionally. Advent tells us He knows us fully and loves us fully. He knows us fully and He embraces us for who we are. And really, at the end of the day, in our relationships, whether it's our marriage, whether in our workplace, whether it's with our children, what we want what we desire deep down inside, isn't it this? This idea of to be fully known by somebody at the same time to be fully embraced. I mean, this, isn't this what we desire in life, in relationship? I've been married for, we're going, to, we're going to our ninth year. I mean, this is what I desire in our marriage. At the end of the day, I want Lois to fully know me for who I am. I feel like every time we argue, it's like, you don't know me, babe. You're not hearing me. You're not understanding but often we, we are terrified of this idea of being fully known. Why? Not because we don't want it, but because if people truly knew our thoughts, if people truly knew what was going on in my mind, if you really knew what I was thinking, you probably wouldn't come to our church. We probably wouldn't have any friends. It's a terrifying idea to be fully known because when we're fully known, the fear is we will not be embraced. Yet listen to John chapter 1, verse 16. John says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You see, friends, Advent points us to an arrival of a Savior who knows us fully. He knows you fully. He knows your fears. He knows your sense of lostness. He knows your struggles. He knows your battle against certain addictions, attachments. Yet He embraces us. He embraces us. This is our God. This is why He is worthy and able to take on all of our hopes. So back to Peter's story. After this wonderful breakfast with Jesus, Jesus made them this wonderful Mediterranean fish breakfast. After this breakfast, Jesus now turns to Peter. There's an elephant in the room, right? Peter has... Vow, Jesus, if, even if everybody leaves, I'm going to be right with you. And Peter ran. 
even denied Jesus multiple times, like Jesus said he would. Now they're back. Jesus turns to Peter and simply asks the same question three times. Simon, son of John, that's his other names. Peter, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Every time, Peter painfully answers, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. By the third time, John tells us that Peter grieved in his heart. What is Jesus hoping to accomplish? He's trying to make Peter feel really, really guilty because it's working. Peter's feeling really guilty. What is Jesus trying to accomplish here? Why ask the same question three times? Why drill this man who obviously is ashamed of what he's done? There's so much we can unpack. We spend the next five hours talking about this passage, this wonderful truth. But one thing I want, with time and, and for today's purpose, one thing that is clear that I want to talk about is, that, is, is this, that Jesus, with these questions, Jesus wants to reorient Peter's affection. Jesus wants Peter to once again place his hope in Jesus alone. Because in the first place, why was Peter disappointed? Right? Why is he back in Galilee and not in Jerusalem? Right? Peter's hope, really, when you look at it, was not truly on Christ. It wasn't about Jesus, the person of Jesus, but it was, it was what? It was on what he wanted Jesus to accomplish. It was this idea of his life. If, if he put his hope in Jesus, he, he would have thought, okay, Jesus would give me a better life, would, would, would give us freedom, create a sovereign nation, would go against the Roman government. And I, as I reflect back on my own moments and seasons of disappointment with God, often my hope, if I'm honest, my hope wasn't resting on Christ or Jesus himself, but rather it was really about what, what I wanted him to accomplish for me, for our community, for others, or if I'm really, really, really honest, it was about what I felt like I deserved. This idea of God, I served you, I obeyed you, I planted this church. Now you owe me. But it wasn't about Christ himself or, or God's vision for my life, for, for Peter's life. So when suffering entered life, when challenges and pushbacks came my way, what do I do? I question God's faithfulness and loving kindness. Yet it's in these moments of honesty, God continues to remind me in small, still voice. He says, Simon, I'm with you. Simon, I know you're hurting, but I'm with you. And I know exactly how you feel. And don't worry, I'm never going to leave you. I'm with you. Friends, as you and I journey with Jesus, our faith will be tested. You could be the wealthiest person, the most healthiest person in this room. Our faith will be tested. No matter who you are, we will all face trials and hardships. 
go, we will all go through painful experiences. And it's not, if you look at the scripture, it's not if, but it is when. In those very moments of doubt, difficulty, pain, and suffering, unless Jesus is our true center, unless He is our true bedrock, unless He is our source of hope, you and I, we're going to be utterly disappointed. So friends, as Jesus asked Peter, let me ask you, and let me ask me this morning, do you love Jesus more than you fill in the blank? Do you love Jesus more than your vision for life? More than your desire for relationship? More than your desire for wealth and security? More than what He can provide for you? Do you really love Jesus more than these? Really what Jesus wants to ask Peter is, do you really love me for who I am? Let me rephrase the question. Would you still love Jesus if you didn't have your money? Would you still love Jesus if you didn't have your job? If you didn't have your health? If you didn't have your relationships? Would you still love him? I would like to say I do. Yet truth is, I don't know. It's not that simple. Because too often... At least I catch myself secretly desiring my best life now. I won't say it. I won't tell you guys. But deep down inside, I desire my best life now. I catch myself desiring choosing comfort over growth. Applause of others over God's confirmation. Wide gate looks good to me. Narrow gate doesn't look so good. So it's hard. It's not that simple. But here's the third and perhaps the most wonderful truth or, or most, most comforting truth that the Advent proclaims. You see, even our ability to place our hope in Jesus is not really up to us. Even our ability to place our hope in Jesus does not actually fall on us. Let me explain. If you see, biblical hope is a bit different from the way we define hope. You see, biblical hope is not blind optimism. I hope that COVID would be handled so that we can go back to our regular life. No one knows. I hope Lois makes delicious pot roast because I love it. I mean, these are just blind optimism, right? Nothing wrong with it. But we don't know. We don't know if it's going to happen. But you see, the biblical hope, and this is the de def definition I'm working out even now, it is the expectation of coming good based on the character and the promise of God. When I look at the scripture, both New Testament and Old Testament, what I see about biblical hope, when, when, when authors of these books cry out hope in God, when Paul says hope that will not fail, it is expectation of coming good based on the character and the promise of God. Friends, you know what this means? This means our hope in God does not rest on whether we can truly trust and believe in God. That's what we think, right? That's what we think when we think about hoping in God. It's like, oh, I hope I can still hope in God despite all these difficulties. Well, no, this means our hope in God does not rest 
on whether we can truly trust and believe in God. Instead, it is wholly based on God's good character and His wonderful promises that we find in Scripture. You see, throughout the Scripture, we find our roots as people who wait from Adam to Abraham, to Noah, on to Mary and Paul in the New Testament, we have been invited to not just wait, but to do so with the hope in the one who fulfills his promise again and again. Notice the word hope in Hebrew language literally means a cord, a rope of some sort. A safety rope of some sort, right? So we assume when we hear this idea of hope being a cord, we assume that the quality of our faith is dependent on our ability to trust and hold on to this rope with all of our might. This rope of Christ, we have to hold on to it. And that's strong faith. Yet scripture emphatically reminds us that it is not us who holds on to this rope of Christ, whether it is God who holds you and I. It is God who has roped us onto himself. And he holds us even when we have no courage or strength or ability to hold on to him. Friends, this is the gospel we'll land our time here, John says, the light came into the utter darkness of the world, and the darkness could not overcome it. The darkness that John mentions in John 1 in our passage speaks not only of our inability to truly see life, it also speaks of sin, shame, death that exists in the world and also in each of our lives. And John says, even death, the ultimate expression of darkness, could not hold Jesus down. You see, Jesus, the light of the world, broke through even death itself. And it is his righteousness, his obedience, his faith, his character, and his promises that transforms us into his own image. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if there is anyone who is in Christ, we are a new creation. And so friends, as we return to this idea of hope, as we look forward to next four weeks, I want to invite us, let's take this time to really consider, to really prepare our hearts once again to remember the real reason for this season. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this really sweet story of the way you restore hope unto the hearts of men who have lost hope. And Jesus, this is a picture of us. As we are coming to the end of 2021, uh, it would, we would be lying if we said we are filled with hope, Lord. But Lord, we come knowing that you know us fully. There's no way we can hide anything from you. 
You see all things. You're all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. Yet, John says, grace upon grace, out of your fullness, you have poured out grace upon your grace. Jesus, we need your grace today. We need your grace in our marriage. We need your grace in our relationship at work. We need your grace in, in everywhere we go in this season, God. So we thank you, Jesus, for living the life that we could not live and dying the death in our place. Thank you for restoration and renewal that could be only found in you. So Spirit, we ask that you would continue to create a hunger in us, to create a desire for you. Be magnified today, Lord.